0: Hey there, Freedom Fighters. You know me, I'm Andrew Warner, your friend who goes out and finds his friends who've done well in business and then brings them on here to talk about how they did it. And joining me is an old friend of mine, Yaro Starak. And he created this business that looks so simple that I want to understand it because I think there are other businesses that could be created like it. Yaro created a company called Inbox Done, You know how you have a busy inbox and it's challenging? Well, think about an executive or an entrepreneur who's growing a business and how maddening their inbox is. Well, he created a service where an outsourced virtual assistant can handle their inbox and uh, make it a lot easier for them. And then he added more and more features to it, like calendars a nice, obvious extension and others. And when I first saw him come out with this business, I thought, it's a little late for this. Has this been handled? Software's handling it, people. And I watched from the sidelines a little bit, especially as the ads kept flying on me on Twitter. And then he emailed me a few weeks ago and he gave me a sense of the revenue and I was like in awe and shock. And I couldn't believe that he'd done so well with this. And I invited him on here to talk about how he did it and to talk about how if, uh, you know, you who was listening to me are thinking about, well, maybe there are other businesses, other services that I could handle for people like this, fairly straightforward. How do I do it? Let's learn from Yaro's experience. That's the vision here. And we can do it thanks to my sponsor, which will help you hire developers if you need them. It's called lemon.io. And if you use lemon.io slash mixergy, you'll get an even bigger discount than others do on phenomenal developers. But I'll talk about that later because first, Yaro, tell me like the revenue. What can you give me? Uh, what can you tell me about revenue? How much are you doing?
1: Uh, seven figures business. I know. Um... It's a phrase everyone loves to hear, but what does it really mean? You know, it means, you know, we're doing a million dollars a year in revenue. A, um, a million or more? A little more now. I mean, we we crossed over late last year. So, you know, some months are a little bit more than that, but pretty much seven figures okay. is, is a good number.
0: Recurring revenue because people are signing up for subscriptions, right? Yes, correct. What about this? It feels like the expenses in this business must be huge because you're hiring people to do the work. It's not like software is behind the scenes doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we and we pay our team. We're we're uh, not outsourcing to the Philippines or lower cost labor too. So, you know, we're paying American, Canadian competitive rates. So, you know, it's not going to have the margins of a a SaaS business. um, Or in my background, I was selling digital courses and things, which are like you know ninety five percent profit margins. So those are wonderful. But it's a business, and I have to give full credit to my co founder Claire. She's like the chief of operations, and you know, when you streamline it, when you have systems in place, you have tight control over how many hours people work, what work we're doing, um, amazing onboarding process to set expectations. There's definitely a margin, and it's similar to any services agency. You're, you're probably anywhere from 30 to 50% margin, depending on, you know, the month and if you're taking some of that money out to put into growth or not, you know, those sorts of things.
0: But net margins come out to 30% or higher?
1: uh 30 to 50 and and to be fair that's like when i say this it's a choice that myself and claire make how much do we want to pay ourselves how much do we want to put that into growth Mm -hmm. so i will be absolutely honest the first three years i said i don't want to take anything i'm i want the money to go back into the company and then once we hit the sort of fourth year the numbers were a bit bigger i was like i definitely need to start taking some money from this otherwise that why am i doing this uh, right. And then it's, you know, it's it's a, every single month we just get on a call and we decide, all right, we have this much money to spend. Do we want to take it out in dividends for the owners? Do we want to put more towards it? And that number, thankfully, keeps growing as the company keeps growing. Is it 50
0: 50 ownership? Yes. Okay. And uh, how long have you been running it?
1: So we, we did an experiment behind the scenes in 2016. Uh, mm-hmm. But 2017 was when we built the website, registered a company, you know, did all the the real grown up business things once we had some customers and we saw it was working
0: Um, you were before this selling digital products like courses and ebooks and things like that
1: yeah, you know andrew we we did a podcast yeah. on my show. I was trying to think it was like two thousand and nine, maybe it was a long time ago, and you had probably just started a mixergy, I think around that time or maybe a year or two into it um around then I was knee deep in teaching blogging and, and email marketing and and having a essentially a digital product business, which was a beautiful business, a wonderful business model. I loved it. But the reason why I kind of switched over to an agency effectively now is um, I wanted to build something that was more of a team, that it wasn't the yarrow face, you know, the personal brand. I was having to be creating personal brand content and being the teacher and the expert, so to speak. So it's been nice to see a company that like I'm sitting here in Lisbon and there's a whole team of 50 people doing things for our clients and I don't have to go and, you know, do some content teaching something every single day like I used to do.
0: And I feel like back then you had to keep coming up with new ideas, too, that it was a constant study of what's next. And if you hadn't come up with it, somebody else would have come up with the thing. And then we would all have paid attention to them. And truthfully, that did happen. It was a period where a lot of us were paying attention to you because you were teaching how to teach and sell online, and then there would be some other dude who I don't even remember anymore who would come in,
1: and then they would disappear, and then it would be you yeah. again. And then hasn't changed; it's still the same. Go to YouTube; everyone's teaching something. So right,
0: <laughs> right, you're right. That whole thing has moved over to YouTube and to some degree to TikTok, and it does keep changing and changing. Um, and the names are, are much more, are much less recognizable lately. So that was one of the motivations. How did you happen on this as a business idea?
1: Uh, pr- as common uh, personal experience. So, you know, it's funny you said I was late to the game, but this idea was all the way back in 2003. Um, I was actually running another agency. It was an essay and thesis proofreading company. And, you know, this was before the four-hour work week with Tim Ferriss, before this concept of a digital nomad, but I really wanted to travel. And that business had the problem of email. I was, I remember this clearly. I went to Sydney for a conference and this is really dating me here. I had to go into internet cafes in order to basically run the business i might have had a blackberry but it wasn't good enough to really coordinate the business with and i didn't have a holiday or i didn't really get to experience that trip because i'd have to see if there was a job sitting in the inbox and make sure it got to the clients and to the editor and back and forth so after that i went home i hired essentially a a stay-at-home mom who was a friend of mine it was an experiment can she do my email can she take over customer service admin, and even just the day-to-day sort of emails that I might get into that inbox. And it took a, a month or two to train her. And then I woke up on like on a Monday and I, as you do turn on the computer and go to your inbox and it was zero. And I thought something's broken or the website's down, there's no sales, but no, she had waken up and, and done the email before I did. And from that point forward, it was like um, standard. I would, no matter what business I had, I always had someone in email as soon as I could afford to do that because it was, and still I believe is the best productivity hack out there because email is the thing that usually takes the majority of time and people treat it like a to-do list. So that was the germ of the idea, but I was so busy just enjoying being, you know, a content creator, a blogger, a podcaster that it was, I was in the back burner. So around, yeah, 2015, 2016, Getting a little, I wouldn't say burnt out, but I was, didn't want to do another relaunch of digital marketing, blogging, and that sort of thing. So I said, you know, I want to see if this idea could work. And my co founder, Claire, she was one of my email managers. She was actually managing the inbox for this blog teaching business for me. And she was great. Um, she, was, she was funny, though. She was very um, motivated. Like every time, she, like every six months, she'd come to me and, and basically ask for a raise by saying how many sales she generated for my company. And, I, you know, I love the enthusiasm, uh, but I also noticed there's some clear leadership qualities here. So I, I proposed the idea to her and said, listen, I, I'm not sure if this will work, but we can do an experiment, get a client. You can be the first email manager and and maybe there there's a business model here. So, you know, that was the experiment we did. And then when we got our first two clients from that, uh, we made sure it worked. Is there a profit margin? Um, is the client happy? Because we were doing this for me, which was a teaching business. And then our first two clients were like a, uh, one was um, a libertarian podcast person. And the other one was a, uh, like a dissociative disorder sort of therapist type person. So very different types of businesses, but they have email. And we rolled out the same systems that we had for me on their inboxes. It worked. And then we decided, let's see if this can be a real business. And you know, in my mind, I'm like, everyone should have this. We're going to be like a, $10 million business within two years, for sure. There's going to be so much demand for this. So, you know, a little slower than I expected, but I'm I'm happy we are where we are.
0: I remember when I first brought someone on to go through my email, it was, it was, I went into kicking and screaming. I didn't want someone to go into my personal email where my wife would send me messages or my doctor appointments might come in there. I didn't, I didn't know if I could trust someone with the personal stuff. And it wasn't until I was at a mastermind where people said, you have to do this. I'm doing this. And we went around the table and it seemed there are a few people who are doing it. And then at the time I'd emailed Drew Houston from um, Dropbox and his assistant had responded a few times. And I realized, okay, there's enough people doing it. And I'm in such a desperate situation. I will tell my wife not to send me anything personal, and I'll just go and pass this on to someone who I trust. And it was a lifesaver. But it was really challenging to let go of my email as much as you try your personal and your work are combined. Hmm. What did what was the hesi- did people have that hesitation? Did you have it?
1: I didn't personally. I was I mean there I if there were going to be personal emails that I think no one should see, then I would separate that into a separate inbox, but I never I never did that. It was always I'm fine with it. That being said, the the main issue if anyone have has an issue is is letting go. It it's a habit, it's a, an addiction for a lot of entrepreneur types as well. They they need to see what's going through the inbox to feel like they know what's going on with their business, you know, in their life. So that can be a bit of a learning curve. However, the majority who come to us are actually so ready like they want to go do the thing that they consider Creative, you know, that zone of genius phrase that a lot of people like to use. And they're stuck in the inbox, often doing admin, customer service, coordinating, project management type stuff. So it's easy that the the biggest thing is we have to go through like a month to two month long handover period where we essentially clone them. And that's an experience and that takes some time. But once we get through that, yeah, most people are well and truly happy. But like you said, it's something that has to be managed very carefully. Um, because an inbox is a very personal thing. It's, it is like getting into someone's brain in some way. So, yeah, gotta be careful.
0: And then do you just have them go in through email using the dedic the, what is it called? The, there's a way to assign email in Gmail. Did you do that or did you sign up for like help desk software, like help scout?
1: You know, everyone's different. Um, the way we work is we actually assign two assistants to every client from day one, and they're both going to clone you. Um, we do that because we want to offer redundancy. Um, if you ever work with virtual assistants, it's really frustrating to hand over something, especially as important as email, and then they're sick or they disappear and suddenly you're, you're right back in there. So we always have a backup with two people. And when it comes to sharing, we try to design things based on what you're comfortable with. So most clients actually like some kind of shared password thing. Um, Back in the day, I would say LastPass, but obviously they've had some not good situations recently. So, you know, Bitwarden, whatever you might want to use as your your password sharing. Some just create user accounts because they're using a tool already, like maybe a front. Um, Some of our clients have uh, Superhuman, and we'll just go in and work with that. Some, Most of them are Gmail or Outlook, and we're Mm -hmm. just like, we're going in, we're in the same shared inbox, We're writing as if we're your assistant, not pretending to be you. There's been a few times we've done that. And, uh, you know, that's how we access everything. Whatever other software you need to use, like we do CRM, to-do list software. We just get uh, some kind of shared password access.
0: The first customers, I imagine, came from your email list, right? You got it, yeah. Okay. And how did you know what to charge them?
1: Uh, Well, we didn't. Um, (laughs) We had an idea. So it initial was like, hey, let's just see if a $1,000 is a good starting point per month. Um, is that going to, like, it, it would cover maybe two hours a day of clearing an inbox and any other tasks. Is that enough? Um, is, and when I say that, that's the company taking a margin and the assistant getting paid. Back then it was just one assistant. Uh, short story is it, it worked. Um, we did over time increase our prices. For the the classic reason, we get a better quality client who's better to work with and we kind of keep away the time wasters and we can pay our team better. So it's yeah, the price has gone up over time.
0: Um when you wanted to go beyond, it was just into your email list, into your audience, and keep getting customers. And as you were doing the first ones, how did you know what to systemize? How were you paying attention to what? Let's talk about the product and then we'll talk about marketing. Sure. How did you know what to systemize? How did you come up with a process for duplicating them?
1: Yeah, so I, I went through this. So um, I understood what it was like to be the customer and had all those concerns like uh, they don't know my expertise. They can't answer questions that are unique to my knowledge or some kind of relationship I have. I know Andrew, but my assistant doesn't know that I know Andrew. And if Andrew right. emails me, how do we you know, know to deal with that? So what we do is when we when we roll in, it, it's funny, this sounds so simple, but it, it's been refined. So your assistants will get some kind of access to your, your email. You'll decide how you want to communicate, whether it's a Slack or a Microsoft Teams. Um, we'll determine what you need to know about urgent, urgently. So we call it triage. If there's certain messages you want to be told about straight away because they're from your wife or they're from your biggest client or, you know, you're getting sued or something like that. Um, or maybe the kid needs to be picked up from school. It could be simple like that. Versus maybe be important, but not urgent, and then everything else, which hopefully we can deal with without communicating with you at all, because we're trying to get you out of the loop. Then when we know the triage, we then actually enter your scent folder, and this is where the magic really happens. So we go into your sent folder, we see how you write, what's your tone, what's your style, who do you write to, um, you know, Do you have any systems in place, any templates, any reminders, redirects, folders? We just got to lay out the land for everything you do, who you email, and how you write. And that's just a learning process for us. Often we'll come in and and take our systems in. So we might build some redirects, create some templates. Um, Now we're starting to roll in AI if we think it's going to make things faster as well. And this takes a few weeks. And then we'll switch to the most important part. We start writing draft emails. So we'd go to you, Andrew. We'd enter your inbox. And we say, we've written drafts. We want you to maybe once a day or every second day, check the drafts, tell us, are you happy with how we're writing our replies? Give us feedback, give us changes, Um, send the email when you're happy with it, and then we'll do that again. And then hopefully, and always this happens eventually, you'll say those drafts are great. You can start sending them um, without us, you know, without you reviewing them. Um, But there's a, a process where you might be happy with the simpler emails, but you always say, you know what, those proposal emails to land the clients, I want to always, or at least for the next month, review them before you send them because they're very important, maybe a little more complex. Um, And of course, there's going to be new situations that hit an inbox. So if we get a question from someone who says, hey, Andrew, this person says they met you at this conference and you offered to, you know, uh, have them come visit your house on Tuesday at 2 p.m. And then we Slack you and say, is that true? Can we confirm that and and say, that's okay. So there's always gonna be dynamic situations like that, but they're assistants they're there working with you, hopefully mostly without you, but you know, it's a bit of a two way process, but that kind of, we call it a handover process. Once it's done, um, there's always gonna be more learning. But once we've gone through that, we call it the cloning process. We know 80, 90% of the situations. We've got templates for common situations we can step in there and just roll with that without you ever having to go back into your inbox. And we can go even further than that and separate you from social media inboxes, calendar scheduling, all of those things. But I'll stop pitching my company now and throw it back to you.
0: (laughs) So if I'm understanding you right, in the beginning, a customer doesn't even have their inbox handled all the way. The customer doesn't have that quick win. They don't have an experience where they can say, I signed up and it's out. It's more like I signed up And now I have even more work to do with these people to see how they wrote and to tell them in an uncomfortable situation that they didn't really get my voice right. And that seems like the opposite of what customers are looking for, which is instant results.
1: Yeah, I think with email, there's an expectation that instant results are very unlikely. And in fact, I'd be dubious of anything like the closest Maybe instant result is AI right now. You can press a button and it would write an email. The, the challenge there is, would you trust that email to be sent without some kind of human review process? And, and, and probably not. So, you know, we can step in and just start writing emails, but if you've never seen us write a reply to your email, are you going to be comfortable with that? Are you going to trust that? So we, I'd say we'd almost go the opposite of that. We don't want people who come into this process expecting a, a, we'll be replying tomorrow we're going to carefully learn uh, about you, your systems, what you do. The, we, you know, we learn who else do you work with in your company so we know who to redirect information or ask questions so we don't have to ask you. So, but to be fair to my team, a lot of this is not involving you. Like if we do this for you, Andrew, we'd be doing all like 80% of this without involving you. We'd be learning without you. We'd be connecting but still, with you. The customer would
0: have someone studying their inbox yes. and, or their sent folder and then someone going in and just writing some drafts and the customer then, then gets it. I guess what you're saying is they're not getting the quick win, but they're getting a step further along the process because you're right, seeing a draft in, in my inbox and being able to edit or give feedback on it or hit send is much better than seeing a bunch of work for me to respond to. Oh, yeah. What, All right. We,
1: um, we, you know, there's a lot of competition in, in the virtual assistant agency market and And you said, like, we came late to this and I'd actually love to talk about that topic you said about, you know, entering this space and with the service and, you know, the listeners could potentially start businesses in a a similar strategy. But, um, one of the things that is a challenge with virtual assistants is you hire one and then you say, go do this thing for me. And chances are you have to train them. I'm sure you went through this yourself. So if you hire a VA and say, do my email, they're going to always be coming back to you asking questions or worse. Sending emails, making mistakes, and then you having to go and fix and apologize. Right. And, you know, potentially they're saying yes to something you don't want to say yes to or, or vice versa. So our system is in place for a reason. It, it, it's something needed to carefully go through and, and take over and inbox.
0: So let's talk about marketing. One of the things <laughs> that I always admired about the way you did marketing was you would understand how people express their problems and then you'd come back to them and, and, Reflect to the next customers that same issue. How did you do that in the beginning? What were the words that you were picking up on that allowed you to find more customers? Wait, where did
1: you hear me doing that, Andrew? I'm oh, <laughs> dude,
0: I remember you did this one YouTube video where you said, "I bought this house. Now let me sit down." And you sat down at your coffee table. I think you were like on the floor at the coffee table, and you were showing us these messages that came to you from people uh, where they were expressing their problems. Then you said, I use that in my, in my ads to get the next person to understand how these problems affect them too. I'm using my own customer's words back at future customers. And you said, basically it's this process that allowed me to buy this house. And I thought coming from anyone else, that would seem very much like a get rich quick idea, but <laughs> it's Yaro. He's so proud that he's got this house. It probably, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> his first house ever it was the house that blogging bought that one yeah 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 Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah you know it's it's funny looking back now um it's marketing and sales 101 really isn't it like um i do the sales calls the discovery calls for inbox done now not all of them but some of them and it's an amazing way to just understand your your customer right um and we have like back then my customers were kind of the same a person who wanted to start a business often with something like blogging or or content now it's the same solution email but it's a rabbi it's a used car salesman it's an accountant it's a online hair loss coach you know it's it's so diverse and, and different people backgrounds businesses but they all have the same problem they're in their inbox and they're doing admin tasks and calendar and all that so you know, the words they use when they talk to me on a discovery call, I'm always thinking that the emotions they express, the problems that they email and the things that are in there that are keeping them away from doing the things they want to do, whether that's travel, uh, grow their business, write a book, spend time with family, exercise. I remember all that myself too. Like I I have had all those desires and I really do think, you know, the whole four-hour work week, it's the same thing. It's like this whole idea that you want to be doing, the thing you want to do, where you want to do it, and the allotted time that you enjoy. So if it's two hours a day of writing or working or whatever, that's what you're aiming for. So getting rid of everything else is really important. And that's the core ethos of being an entrepreneur. So even though I'm selling email, I feel like that's what I'm also selling, this idea of breaking free. Um, but as a marketing technique, I mean, it's copywriting as well, right? It's, it's um uh, customer avatar, learning about who you sell to? What you sell to? Their their emotions, their problems, and then I use that in copy everywhere. So, uh, and that's obviously learned from the blogging days as well. But I feel like I'm seeing a question on your face, Andrew. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. <laughs>
0: you know, I'm noticing as I look through the copy that one of the things that you emphasize is: here are these people who we've hired. They are in the U.S. They look like you. I have not hired someone who is culturally different from you and wouldn't understand the references. And I'm guessing that that came up from one of the concerns that customers repeated to you. Are you looking at our uh, about section at, with our I'm team? I'm on inbox, inboxdone.com. Yeah, and, just... and the video that was there was a woman who I couldn't tell who was the client and who was uh, <laughs> yeah. who was the service provider, for example, as I went through the video. Well, if you keep um,
1: scrolling down and you uh-huh. get to the section of all the faces of our team or a lot yeah. of our team, you'll actually see it's it's quite a diverse and, you know, I'm not saying this is because we deliberately we're trying to grow a diverse company, which is you know great. It just happened organically with with looking for the right talented people. But it's actually been um interesting because some clients have come to us and said, "Oh, we like how you have this person on your team, and they 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 look like me in some way." And I'm not saying a white male. It, you know, it could be anything and everything. So, but maybe you're referring to the fact that. We're not outsourcing to the Philippines and India. Is That's that what, I what I you're? Mean, that, you're yeah.
0: that you're emphasizing that it's not being outsourced to the Philippines. It's here in your country, people who are like you. And I'm assuming that came up a lot in customer conversations.
1: You know, it is one of the things that people do choose us over some options. Um, it's something we just did from the beginning. We you know, email. We need English as a first language. You need emotional empathy, attention to detail. And I, I don't want to rule out an entire country worth of people. There's great people in the Philippines and great people in India, and I'm sure there's people capable of doing your email. But when we started the company, we said, we want to just play it safe. We'll stick to North America to start with. We do have some other people overseas. Um, they help Australians. They help Western Europeans. Uh, sometimes just the best person happens to pop up in South Africa. you know, and We hire them. Um, but it's definitely been a point of differentiation. I think that actually kind of points to what you talked about earlier about being late. So, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've been talking about Filipino virtual assistants for for like twenty years now as a, yeah. a you know outsourcing option. Um, I remember the first time I heard that, probably two thousand and five. Someone said you can hire Filipinos for two dollars an hour, and you know that sounded great. Maybe a little exploitative. I wasn't sure two dollars an hour was you know a living wage in the Philippines. Maybe it isn't now, but it might have been then. But even now it's five, six, seven dollars US. Um and you know, I I went on that train, I hired a few people and most of the time it just didn't work out because I didn't train them well and I didn't know what I was hiring them for, but I would never put them on my email because English wouldn't would not have been strong. But um now it's like there's so many great companies that specialize in, you know, um help desk and phone support, live help uh with Filipinos, India. You have a sponsor that focuses on Eastern Europe for developers, <laughs> so you want to throw that in there? Well, let's and, bring uh, that
0: up. Yes, it's uh, Lemon.io, Alex, the founder of I'm Lemon. doing a job for you, Andrew. <laughs> he said he was in Israel, just traveling through there, and people said, hey, you're Ukrainian. He goes, yeah, thinking that maybe they're going to talk to him about his culture, about the country he lives in. And instead, they said, can you help me hire some of those inexpensive Ukrainian developers that I keep hearing so much about? And he goes, Sure. And so he would introduce them to people he knew. And after a few times of doing that, he said, there's a business here of being that matchmaker. People would pay for this. And of course, businesses would pay to get developers who are solid and are good and are not in North America and these other places where it's expensive. And so he turned it into a business. And um, then obviously the war broke out in Ukraine. And He said that all his developers were now in the war and he ran into a huge crisis and he had to figure out what to do. And he decided that what he would do is push himself to do the thing he should have done before, which is expand to other countries where there are also phenomenally smart developers who are also paid less than their U.S. counterparts but want to live in their countries and have all the quality of life uh, upsides that they get. And so he is now doing this in multiple countries and he's still doing the whole matchmaking thing and it's still the same kind of connected uh, personal touch that you would have gotten if it was just him making an introduction to his friends. He still wants to make sure everyone has a good fit. Um, and usually I wrap back and forth with my guests, but you're not even hiring developers. You keep your whole thing simple. So I can't rope you in here and have you well, talk about
1: that. I, you can actually. I have some What's Ukrainian on? developers. It's not for you Inbox do? done, but I am a little side hustle software project for you know, the creator space. And I actually lived in Lviv, Ukraine for uh, about six months, huh. um, 2017. And I've got friends there now. Um, and my Ukrainian developers are working fine. And, and in fact, I would encourage, you know, in hiring in that part of the world, because we need to support their mm-hmm. industry and they're very talented. And I've been working with them for about 18 months. Oh, not quite that much, maybe a, a year and a quarter, uh, on some software. And, um, Everything like your sponsor, your software, Lemon.io does, it's more affordable. Um, Talent is readily available and, you know, you can get the whole team. Um, That's what I've got, like a little team in terms of front end, back end, and they're all Ukrainian and I, I love working with them. So I'm all for it.
0: Well, if you or anyone else out there needs more developers, I'll tell you lemon.io will get you great developers, but this URL that I'm about to give you will get you an even bigger discount on their already low prices. And frankly, they'll do the whole matchmaking service for you. So you have nothing to lose. Just go contact them and see who they could put in front of you. And if you love them, great. If you don't move on, here's a URL where you get all that for a better price than everyone else. It's lemon.io slash Mixergy, lemon.io slash Mixergy. He said that these ads have been – these and the Jason Calacanis ads have been the most effective ads that he bought, which is phenomenal to hear. All right. Um, When you wanted to go beyond your audience, how would you advertise this? Where What worked?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the company growth has been beyond my audience, to be absolutely honest. Andrew, it was only enough to get our first maybe five, six, seven uh, customers. So it's been – A challenge, you know, marketing is, uh, it's a a game I know well from having grown some other businesses, but you know, you got to start from scratch. So we have a philosophy of just experimenting with something with a, you know, a small test, maybe a thousand dollars getting a result or not. And then if there's some kind of result, you know, doubling down and, and going deeper. So right from the early days, we had some success with podcasts, much like we're doing now. So I went on and actually paid for, you know, podcast agency to get me onto some shows. I also reached out to a few friends, um, a long time coming here to be on Mixer as well. Uh, and that, that was hit and miss, you know, um, Entrepreneur on Fire was great. Um, Jenny Blake from the Free Time podcast has been great because the topic is right, you know, lines up with ours. Um, but the majority have not brought in any results that I can conclusively say, but, you know, helps get the word out. So that got us a few more clients. And then. You know it's it's such a cliche, but Google and paid advertising as well as organic has become our greatest source of new leads. but we really focused on that, so you know I come from a content marketing background, so I initially wrote content myself for the site, but then I brought on you know some keyword research guys. I feel like you got a question on your face again, Andrew. I can't help it you got, it's, no, no. <laughs> it's ready to come out of your mouth there so
0: um i so you did, the first thing you did was uh, podcast advertising. Did that work?
1: Or podcast, well, excuse me, uh, appearances. Guesting, yeah, as they call it. Yeah, guesting. It, um, it is still our second best source of brand new leads. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: You going on talking like this about, other, uh, about your business on other podcasts that are aimed at business people. Interesting. That makes, that makes sense to me. And then the next thing you did was you wrote content on your site so the people who are searching for solutions for this would come to you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, in tandem, like we were, we did that from the start. So as soon as we built a website, I always knew we need to have a blog post that covers all these things. We need articles mm-hmm. in every service we offer. We're going to try and rank well. You don't rank well from day one. Twelve months later, you start to rank better. Twenty-four months later, hopefully, you're you know one, two, or three in the right position. So there was organic. There was building some links. The benefit of doing podcasting is you also hopefully get a link back to your own site, which helps a little bit with your you know organic results. Yeah. Um, And then I I sort of knew this, but Google having an intention behind a search is great for us. So um, as you can imagine, there's a person, like an entrepreneur, it's 11 p.m. at night. They're answering their emails. The kids have been put to sleep. They're really frustrated. And they're like, "Ah, I can't even go to sleep because I've still got 50 emails in the inbox. They go to Google and say, how do I hire someone to handle my email for me or something like that? And then we show up. So whether it's an organic result or a paid result, um, and we're very niche. We do that. We specialize at that one thing in particular. So, you know, we're often going to be a top choice in that. So that's, if you put podcasting, organic Google, paid Google, um, referrals now that we're a little bigger, we've got a team of 50 with all, the, all the clients we're working with. They do talk to other people and bring in new customers. Um, outside of that, you know, I've experimented. You, you saw me play with uh, Twitter ads, I believe you saw yeah. that, um, LinkedIn ads, sponsored a conference, a little bit of YouTube ads. Um, I love it. I actually really enjoy playing with it. I, I want to do some influencer marketing, um, you know, anything and everything. But we have a, a budget we have to work within. So, you know, like like all companies.
0: Yeah, I did do a search for hire someone to handle email and you showed up at the top of the list. And then underneath that is Upwork 27 best freelance email handlers for hire. <laughs> Here's Hit the YouTube competition. Twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that Twitter thing, I'm assuming it didn't work, but it was running for
1: a while. Well, it, it did actually work enough as in we got one client from it, um, pretty quickly and then nothing. So it was one of those things where, oh, this worked, let's keep, keep it running. And then, you know, it, it was, it's often a trade-off. You're like, well, I can take that money and Google's doing better. Let's increase our ad budget or podcasts yeah. is doing better. Let's double the number of shows we go on. So that's what happens.
0: One thing that I've seen others who are in this type of business do is they partner with someone else, like someone who runs a mastermind who says, don't do any work yourself. You should be hiring outside. And then they partner and they they have that relationship there. But with email, you don't get that, right? There's not another service provider, or another support system that encourages people to outsource this, this kind of thing, right?
1: Not, I mean, the software... You know, in fact, I contacted Superhuman and said, you know, for those people who want a little extra help with human touch on email, we'd be a great connection. But didn't get a no, no, no uh, email back from those guys. Um, but I do feel like, you know, as a great partner, Tim Ferriss has always been my dream because he obviously, in the four-hour work, we talked about delegating his email to right. back then. I think it was Indian Assistance. So, I'm still hoping one day to get that uh, five bullet Friday shout out and be completely overwhelmed with too many clients and uh yeah. <laughs> deal with that so Tim he used to answer my emails. He's been on my podcast a few times, but he's he's too he's too popular nowadays, so.
0: <laughs> I think he's a little bit disconnected too. He seems to have really gone offline except for his podcast
1: yeah, and I think the four hour week as a topic is probably less you know It's a long time in his his history now he's interested in other subjects so.
0: Yeah, different types of medicine. It seems yeah. like is Mushrooms. the obsession. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How do you keep uh, the people you you hire from taking a credit card number and and moving on, or using someone's login information to log into their bank account or something like that? Right, you can trigger a lost password and get access to anything.
1: Yeah, it's probably the the biggest concern if you're going to go that far. Like, not everyone wants to hand over you know, your PayPal login or your bank details or whatever it is. Um, I went through this. I, back before I had the company, I brought on email managers. And at one point I said, here's my customer selling tool, my checkout tool. I want you to now handle refunds and upgrades. And here's my PayPal account. I want you to do that. Uh, And that was obviously not the first thing I gave them day one. They started working for me. I built some trust with them uh, you know, we had a relationship established of several months and then I said, all right, we'll do that. So there's, I, I do recommend that to our clients too. You don't necessarily want to be handing over everything from day one. Let's get comfortable, get to know each other. Obviously from our side as a company, our hiring process is all about finding the best people, background checks, reference checks, you know, are they good people? Um, we have some hiring parts of our process that are you. Unique to us in the sense we're training on email, we're training on how to work with a client, we're training on security and privacy. But at the end of the day, it's character. Ultimately, you know, you have to find people with good character. But it's it's usually you know your references and that kind of background.
0: So hard, even a good person could end up you know doing a bad thing.
1: Well, that's life. Even I can, a good I person ends up
0: right. <laughs> so you don't have any you don't have any systems in place to avoid that to. I don't know, somehow restrict well, what, what they could do?
1: Yes, in terms of password sharing and locking down access to certain tools. But if you give someone a login to PayPal, you can con- like control their access well, level. PayPal
0: seems like an easy answer. They're, they're a different account level than PayPal. So right. you can give them access to an account where they could give refunds, um, but not do, but not take money out of the account. Yeah, it's more like bank logins that are a real problem, or other types of financial logins where they just trigger the. In fact, come back to PayPal. They could they could go to PayPal, say I forgot my password, and trigger exactly. The password yeah, yeah, sent, it's right?
1: not safe either. It's there's no uh. Yeah. Once you give someone access to anything, I mean, even think of your your email. Let's take money out of the equation. I don't want to scare people away, but you could have someone just. To send nude pictures to every single contact in your email account, uh, losing all your customers your clients your friends your family even that <laughs> I, I so? worry
0: about less I think all right so it's not like that's been that's been an issue. It, Let me talk a little bit about no. people then since you've talked about how good they are if you have a million dollars in revenue, thirty uh, percent net margins right that means you have let's say seven hundred thousand dollars in in Oh, wait, what am I looking at? Yeah, let's say that means you have $700,000 in expenses in the business. Divide that by the 50 people that you have in the company who are not you. That's $14,000 per person. And if they're all working for you, you can't pay someone $14,000 a year. Are they, they, a lot of them super part-time?
1: Oh yeah. This is, um, for the majority of our team, this is not a a full-time job. We're very, like you take on as many clients as you want within a limit. So some of our this is a side hustle for some of our people. It's a remote traveling job. So they're, you know, some have one client, some have two, some have three. I think the most will be four or five. Uh, but, Got it. Yeah. So they
0: might wake up in the morning in a different country, different time zone, handle email for a bit, and then pass it on to the next person on the team, who the, other, the second person on the team who's handling it. Yeah, so that was that.
1: two. So um, one usually does a morning check-in, clears all the email, does all the tasks. The other one does an afternoon check-in, same story. Um, and they, you know, they work sense. in tandem, support each other. But yeah, they're, you know, it's two hours uh, maybe each a day, and and that's it. So maybe like if they really want to take full time, we probably could load them up. Um, but we're also hesitant to do that because it creates one person a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So
0: the other thing I noticed was it went beyond it. So it starts with email, like that's the that's the opening into the relationship. But the natural next thing is, well, can you also calendar for me? Handle the calendar. And then while I'm also doing some research, can you handle the research? And so they become virtual assistants, essentially. And instead of competing in the virtual assistant space where you're competing against tons of companies, you're in the we handle your inbox. And by the way, our level up is all these other services.
1: Yeah, I Ultimately, though, people come to us for email first, maybe calendar second. Those services, like you said, we we call ourselves an executive assistant service. Maybe we're a concierge sort of one, very specific around a topic. But a good email writer is a good communicator. So you could certainly have them do your social media replies, your your inbox, and in Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. So it's natural for us to be asked right. to do that. Um, email follow up, lead nurturing. How far you go is up to you. But you know most of our clients, they have a team and they might actually have a virtual assistant who does their social and then a, an ad buyer and maybe a bookkeeper. And then we're in there and we work with all those people. So it's, it's up to you how far you want to take it. But most people just they dig into email. They want to get out of the inbox and then they might go, wow, actually, I really like my two assistants. What else can I delegate to them? And that's, you know, that works. All
0: right. Let's close it out with maybe someone's listening. And maybe they're in a situation like me where I have constant research work that I do. And the basics of research are pain in the butt because it's put together a list, make phone calls, answer these basic questions, and then move on to the next stage, which is a little bit more investigation, right? But the first step is pretty basic. So if I were to have that and hire a research assistant for myself and then say, you know what, maybe there are other people who need this might reach out to my own universe and say, does anyone need a research assistant? Here's what this person will do for you. It's great. If I get two people, now I have an understanding that there's some possibility here for for revenue. Talk to me about the problems that I should anticipate in building out this research as a service business that's similar to inboxdone.com's business.
1: Yeah, you just described my life, I think, Henry. You know, once you build one of these businesses, you see opportunities for for service agencies everywhere in, in specializations. Um, just the other day, I was trying to get thumbnails done for YouTube videos. And I was like, there's got to be a specialist agency that just focuses on, on thumbnails. And it wasn't like, I couldn't find lots of freelancers, lots of Upwork people and graphic design studios, but none that said we're a YouTube specialist. So immediately I go and register a domain name. I own thumbnailers.com and like, I'm going to start a business. Like, no, no, focus on the one you're doing. Right. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I think the, like all industries at the start, they're broad in general. So I think, you know, 15 years ago, virtual assistants were do anything, be anything, and, and that was fine. People hired them for that reason. And then they started to specialize and how far you go with that, you know, it could be virtual assistants for industries, dentists, doctors, accountants, whatever. Um, it could be virtual assistants for skills, graphic design, bookkeeping, uh, phone support and so on. So it's it's natural to keep fragmenting along those paths. And I think that's the opportunity if you wanted to start a services agency right now, obviously you have to hit on a problem that has enough you know, demand and need and people are willing to spend a certain amount of money to solve it. Um, You have to be able to access and train the talent. So, you know, where that is for you depends on what you're going to sell. Philippines, onshore, offshore, um, American, so forth. Um, How much you're going to pay them. That part plays a big part in this as well. And I think, honestly, one of the biggest challenges of this is marketing because you have to be able to position what you're selling Right with copy, with case studies, uh, understanding the pain points, because that's how you present the specialization. So, you know, when I was thinking about this thumbnail, YouTube thumbnail business, I'm like, well, what other things do I want? Oh, I'd love a service that actually does based research. They're split testing thumbnails and they have research on all these other thumbnails that other people are using, which ones are converting better. And they are designing their thumbnails based on that research. Because I'd be like, that's the person I'd want to hire. I'd pay a premium right. for that, you know? So you need to find it's classic um, business 101, points of differentiation, competitive advantage, all those sorts of things that make you sound different from everything else out there and, and specialized.
0: All right. I think you're right. I think there are businesses in all of these spaces. And I wonder what... The- beyond thumbnails what else do you see as being a really good opportunity or is it I wonder if there's a way to go into upwork and see who their top like what the top virtual assistants say they do you know because that becomes a specialty that maybe could be turned into a similar business
1: yeah i've done this game like uh i'm i was surprised that what i thought was too broad and general still works like Content writing for SEO purposes, I would have thought, well, well and truly saturated by a million different agencies. But it's there's a, plenty of freelancers out there who are just writing blog posts, even with AI. You know, they're still just producing content for all those businesses that need posts. They want to rank in Google and, and so on. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity even with that. Just be the content producer for a specific industry or a specific type of person. Um, one area I'm only mentioning this because I've heard it mm-hmm. talked about in so many. YouTube channels and podcasts is um, the chief operation person, the COO, second in command, whatever you want to call mm. it. I keep hearing about that role yeah. being needed for influencers, creators, entrepreneurs. So uh, I'm sure it exists, but I don't like it's it's not common to, and it's hard to f- to fulfill. It's, it's a specialized talent, but um, it's definitely a need. People need COOs.
0: You mentioned earlier writing content. One of my past guests, John Doherty, he created Editor Ninja, which just will edit your content. And if you're writing content yourself, you need an editor before you publish to find all those mistakes and to help you clarify your writing. And if you're doing AI writing, you even more need an editor because you need somebody to make sure that it sounds human, that it actually comes across to the way you mean it to. Mm -hmm. He's built that as a service and now there are content agencies and businesses that use content for marketing that are using him on a regular, I, I've been a customer of his. I really like the work, especially if you pair it, he's got an upsell where you can get some SEO work um, in addition and then he gives you real detailed SEO advice and in addition he says things like, well, you, you should have a call to action at the end of this because I think you'll get customers from this and don't leave it to your, to your template to do that heavy lifting.
1: And once you thought editing was like well and truly saturated and old, yes. I, mean, I was running an editing business. I would have thought Grammarly and, would have handled it. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, 2001, I was running a proofreading company. So it's clearly a well and truly established service. Yet, and this is the lesson I think for entrepreneurs, there's so much demand online. Yeah. So to get to a seven-figure business in what you would think is a saturated market, it's just finding those 50 to 100 customers who keep paying for your service. So.
0: All right. The website for anyone who wants to go and sign up is um, is what? Inboxdone.com. I've been referring to it. I have so many tabs here. As you were talking, I keep going and researching. And then I went through, you said that you handle the calls personally. And I said, he uses Tally. Why is he using Tally before he gets me to the calendar link? And so what, <laughs> what is Tally? Tally is the form system. So I guess you're trying to get information from someone before you book the call. Uh-huh. So I have all those. It's inboxdone.com. Uh, thanks so much for being on here. And now people know that they could, you know, hit that book call button and talk to you directly.
1: Most likely. We do have a couple others who do them. The <laughs> Most Good likely. chance you'll speak to me, yes.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Yaro. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate
1: it. Bye.